Spencer, do you have any plans to race your bicycle this spring? Yeah, Fred, I think I'm going to be heading out to the Epic Rides mountain bike races, getting back on dirt this year. Man, I can't wait to see what your race results are. Well, you might see some pretty bloody knees and scars and stuff, because I'm expecting to do some crashing. Gross, man. Well, you know, with those race results, you can use them to get a great deal on life insurance. Listeners of the Vel News podcast have probably heard us talk about Health IQ, the innovative life insurance company that works with cyclists, runners, healthy people like you and me. And what you can do is actually submit your race results to get a good deal on insurance. That's right, Fred. Go to healthiq.com slash velonews and you can get a quote for a great rate on life insurance. I don't know if you can submit images of your bloody scars and scraped up knees, though. I think they are still developing that one. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Thanks again to Health IQ. On with the show. Welcome back to the Vel News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, here with Spencer Paulison, joined digitally by Andy Hood. We're at the Velo News World Headquarters today in snowy Boulder, Colorado. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. It is President's Day, but we here at the Velo News Podcast, we do not know the meaning of holidays. We're in here working on a holiday because, I don't know, Spencer, there's no place I'd rather be right now. It's the hardest working podcast in bicycling. That's, That's what true. I've been told. That's true. People are saying it. A lot of people are saying that. Many people are saying we're the hardest it's working said. podcast crew. Uh, Hoodie, what's going on in Spain right now? You, you just got back from Ruta del Sol. What, what do you got going on? Hello, fellas. Yeah, there's a President's Day here in Spain. This is still a constitutional monarchy. So we have the, the king's birthday is a big deal over here. Uh, that none of, none of those democratic institutions really rank in the Spanish holidays. It's all Catholic and all kings over here. <laughs> I gotta say, I love President's Holiday because I'm a skier, so you get that day off. But now in Colorado, when you want to go skiing on President's Holiday, you're just looking at long traffic jams and lift lines. But this isn't a skiing podcast. This is a cycling podcast. We have had lots and lots and lots of bicycle racing going on in the past week since. We last talked to you, we have had three major races wrap up, those being the Tour of Oman, the Ruta del Sol, and the Volta al Algarve. As we talked about last week, these early season races, they're not like the most pressing, most important races of the season, but they are really interesting races to watch because they're a bellwether for who's going, who's going good, who's flying, who's on top form. And we were able to see some of the riders that were on top form. That's right, Fred. It was, uh, it was an interesting weekend. I'd say there's uh, all three of the races have uphill finishes toward the end of their tours. So you get to see the GC guys, the climbers show off their form a little on the early side of this, this springtime here. And, uh, you know, you, you get some, it looks hard too. like, uh, let's face it. That's the worst, that kind of breaking the seal of the early season yeah. effort, especially something like the tour of Oman where they went up green mountain and it just is this just desert hellscape with a steep climb where they just are getting pummeled by Astana guys. It's brutal. A lot of early season pain faces of guys being like, oh man, why didn't I do some more intervals over Christmas break? Why did I have that second helping of pie? Racing is hard. Uh, Also, we have early season races coming up this coming weekend, which we're going to get to. And these are some of the most exciting early season races out there. That being Omlupet Nusblad and Kern Brussels Kern. 
the earliest of cobbled classics. And Hoodie, I don't know about you, I love these races. They're exciting, they're painful. They always end up with good action. I'm thinking of Het Newsblad a couple years back when Ian Stannard went up against four quick steps and managed to win. Uh, wh what do you like about these races? I agree, Fred. This, these are some of the best races of the year, just in terms of the whole hype. You know, it's kind of like opening day of a baseball season. Uh, the spring classics are really just around the corner once you hit this, this kind of opening weekend in the Belgian calendar. You know, weather can be an issue. There's a real nasty storm blowing in across northern Europe later this week. We'll have to see, you know, current Brussels current and Omloop have both been snowed out once or twice over the last 10 years or so. Hopefully, that will not be an issue. Cross I, your fingers, man. Yeah, I hope it doesn't. That would be such a bummer. And also, I think it's fun because each year we have to remember how to pronounce nooseblad or noiseblad. Nosebleed. We, we, nosebleed. Omlupet nosebleed. We need to get a Belgian on this podcast to teach us our pronunciation. It's true. Apologies for that. This is nothing new, though, as you, I'm sure you realize. And then finally, we're going to link up with Hoodie to talk about his experience at Ruta del Sol, a.k.a the Chris Froome Sky Circus. Tour de Froome. Tour de Froome down in southern Spain because you had some great stories about the messaging coming out of Team Sky with David Brailsford and Froome talking about uh, where they currently sit with this adverse analytical test, as well as the many, 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 many journalists who flocked to, um, to uh, Ruta del Sol to cover the melee, including Andy Hood. But guys, let's get into it. We had early season racing going on this past week. Um, let's kick it off with the Tour of Oman. This oh, was Oman. Oman. Tour of Oman. <laughs> Oman. Uh, it's, it's a tough race. It is not a splinter, sprinter's classic. It features the climb up Green Mountain. There's good grimacing and pain faces. Spencer, what did we learn from the Tour of Oman this year? I learned that the Astana guys are totally fine without Fabio Aru, at least so far. You know, Fabio Aru went to UAE Team Emirates in the offseason, and now we have the young Miguel Angel Lopez, a Superman from Colombia, young climber, and he won that stage on Green Mountain. Clearly, he's going well. Our friend Dane Cash, new contributor to Velo News, new Velo News reporter, got to talk to him in Oman and had a good story on the website if you want to check that out. So, Superman flying, as you'd expect. An Andre Lutenko is a little more under the radar. He won the overall, actually. But this uh, this young rider, this young Kazakh rider, he's been kind of floating around getting some results here and there. And this is maybe an indication that he could be their GC guy for uh, for for some of the for some of the Grand Tours. We know that uh, Lopez is trying to step into that role too. And I'll also add that. At Oman, we saw a little bit of the classics guys in action too. Greg Van Evermet uh, won the third stage, I believe, and that was a kind of kind of hilly run with a little bit of a reduced group sprint there in the end, and that that was a pretty exciting one too. And and uh, Nathan Haas as well showing himself in uh, the day before that beating Greg, Greg Van Evermet in the sprint. Yeah, no, it was exciting. A uh, couple days of racing. You know, I am, I am interested in Lutsenko. Mm. You know. Hoodie, we've seen Lutsenko do well at some of the Grand Tours. You know, he's a guy who can win on, like, punchy finishes. Um, and he's like, like one of those guys who can just survive it. He just yeah. keeps on going, and he'll get there to the end. We'll see him as, like, a breakaway dude. but Definitely breakaway guy. I don't guy. know, Hoodie. What, what do you know about this guy and what his um, capabilities are, his, his future may hold for Astana now that they don't have a Fabio Aru? 
he's an interesting guy. He's he's kind of been hyped inside the team as really the future of this team. Uh, I think he kind of comes from that Vinukarov kind of uh, genetic pool there where he's Kazakh by birth, but I think Russian by by heritage. He he is a, a rider who does have some Grand Tour potential. Obviously, he can time trial as well as climb. Um, you know, will he ever get to that uh, Grand Tour uh, place we don't know yet he's still young i mean i think he's only 25 years old that's right so this 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 is kind of a big win for him he has won a few other things uh over the course of his career got a stage win last year at the welta um definitely he is one of these young guys that astana is putting their money on for the future with uh lopez as well it was interesting uh what you were saying spencer about aru how the team seems to be functioning better without him i had a, a, a chat with uh jacob fuglesong at the ruda and he he really didn't say it, but it sure sent the message that they're not missing Fabio. I don't know what if there's some bad juju in there in terms of perhaps who was fighting over leadership or there was some bad chemistry. But he seemed to allude to that it was no surprise to Jacob that, that Aru got out of that team last year. Well, and our Danish friend Lars will be very excited now that Fulsang has a clear path to be the only tour leader for for Astana. I am too, Exciting man. news for the Danes. I'm a, I'm a Fuglesong fan. I remember watching him win the U23 Mountain Bike World Championships. I always love it when the mountain biker goes over to road and has a ton of success. But yeah, I mean, with Fuglesong in pole position, with Lopez coming up and now Lutsenko, it does seem like Astana have found a way to keep themselves strong despite seeing their two top GC guys depart the team in the last few years with first Nibali and then Aru going away. Um, yeah, Lutsenko, I'm remembering that Welta stage win. He was in the breakaway and it finished with some terrible, like 20% climb over the last few kilometers. And he was able to hold off kudos. I mean, it was a really impressive win. It was one of those hard man wins where you're like, oh, God, that guy tough yeah. as nails. Yeah, he, he is not afraid of doing that type of thing. And you can also note that uh, Magnus Court Nielsen, another Astana guy, won a stage at Tour of Oman. And he could be a sprinter classics type guy that Astana might lean on for some, for some other results beyond just climbing and GC type stuff. So maybe the big story to come out of Oman is Astana. You thought they were dead. Not anywhere close. Not even close. Still strong. Rock's not dead. Rock's not dead. Uh, moving on to Ruta del Sol. Um, again, this is an early season race. Vuelta Andalusia, Ruta del Sol, southern Spain. The place we'd all like to be right now. Yeah, let's, let's get going. And uh, Hoodie, you were there. So from a sporting perspective, looking at how the race played out uh, with Tim Wellens winning the overall, but Sky having some good... Uh, performances. I don't know. What do we take away from Ruta? It was uh, it was it was not an easy race. Pretty hard parkour. They had already stage two that steep, very steep uphill finale. Five Ks, just brutal. Fifteen percent grades. That's that climb where in 2015, Froome popped Coltador to set himself up for the overall. This year, it was Froome getting popped, according to the scheme uh, to the uh, the sky message there at the finish line. They said that Froome already on the road that day going into the finale said okay guys i'm not feeling great let's ride for voot pools who then won the stage the big surprise there really was tim wellens kind of uh stuck it to sky and to mikhail landa who was making his movie star debut and i know landa was really champing at the bit to at least get a stage win if not win the whole thing and uh 
Landa lost. He was he started that final time trial Sunday. Second, he dropped all the way down to sixth. Though he's got a little bit of work to do against the clock. Real slap in the face. That was in front of a home crowd too in Spain. And Wellens definitely had a great finish on that on that fourth stage for sure. Yeah, you know, I think it's a good segue to talk about Wellens because we've joked around about Tim Wellens in the past. I mean, he's undeniably a very strong rider, but he does seem to have this track record of attacking kind of early, like attacking at the wrong time in these races. I'm thinking back to last year's Strada Bianca, really strong, but he went off the front with like, he, he with like 12k to go, and when they brought him back, that's when Kwiatkowski goes. Tim Wellens is always the guy who attacks right before the decisive attack. Yeah, and that race, of course, finishes with that steep climb to yeah. Siena, and it's like you gotta save something for that climb. So this year at Ruta on that second stage that had the uphill finish, you know, Wellens he's strong, he's in that group, and he launches this massive attack with 1.5k to go, draws out this huge gap. And then you just start seeing the gap come down. And the first thing that popped in my mind was like, ah, Tim Wellens is being Tim Wellens. Here he is, like, launching the attack at the wrong time. And they caught him and passed. So I think it was really great to see him then on the fourth stage attack and take the win because... Hey man, Tim Wellens, just keep keep attacking, dude. Keep, Gotta keep trying. Keep bashing your head against the wall. Eventually, it's gonna come. You miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. That's true. Way to go, Michael Tim. Jordan said that. <laughs> That's true. yeah. Maybe he was just no. It's just kidding. Speaking directly, Gretzky said that to Tim Wellens on that one. Um, Hoodie, what was your sense though coming out of the Sky Camp about where Froome was from a condition perspective? You know, this route, this race is supposedly. Uh, represents Froome getting a season started a little earlier because he wants to be fit for the Giro. Um, what do we learn about Froome's condition? Yeah, it was hard to actually read too much into that because uh, Froome actually did not arrive at, at the at the race until Tuesday evening, quite late, the evening before the race started. And in fact, he had just flown from South Africa up to Europe. I think he spent one night in Monaco and then flew down to Spain the next day. So he really just came in hot or cold from South Africa straight into this race. And in fact, uh, they told me at uh, the team that it really was only until just a, a few days before the race started that Froome decided to race the, the Ruta del Sol. So his form, if you look at the numbers he was posting during his training camp in South Africa, he's been doing some monster base miles so i think his fitness is high obviously he wasn't quite sharp on the racing end of things uh i guess the bigger surprise was really the time trial performance on sunday i think he was seventh uh well off the winning time there when i think a lot of people expected him to win he did get a puncture near the base of the final climb in stage four so that's why he did kind of lose all that time um take away from Froome, you know you have to think that the distractions surrounding his salbutamol case also affected his performance he was definitely the center of attention i think both before and after the stages but also i think during the race he said he was talking to riders during the race uh there were some riders including tim wellens had some very strong remarks about firm's presence in the race so you can't help but think i mean everyone's human you can't help but think that maybe that affected his performance as well the guy who had the really impressive performance to me from Sky was Wilt Pools. I mean, when he did attack for the win on that second stage, the uphill finish, I mean, he went at the right moment. He was really smart. He was obviously really fit. 
Um, and it had me wondering about Walt Pools and his springtime ambitions. You know, he wasn't a guy I think that a lot of us saw as being on that Giro roster. But Hoodie, I mean, could we be seeing Walt Pools also building up for the Giro, perhaps? Yeah, I don't think that Pools' uh, schedule is quite confirmed. I know he'll be going uh, into the Spring Classics, into the Ardennes as his next major focus. Um, Sky, I think, is is running. They're trying to plan their season out, assuming that Chris Froome is going to be racing. So we've seen guys like Garrett Thomas, they committed to the Tour de France. Um, Kiewitowski's making his schedule going into the Spring Classics. Uh, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what Boot Pools' schedule is going into if he's doing the Giro or the Tour, perhaps doing both. Um, but he's a guy, I mean, he's a guy right there who could potentially be a Grand Tour podium winner, maybe. I mean, it's kind of a stretch. Sometimes uh, having that uh, first lieutenant position takes away all the pressure, helps you perform better. When you get all that pressure as a team leader, sometimes guys don't react to that. I'm not so sure Pools will ever get a chance to be the outright leader unless Chris Froome is banned and he's not racing, and then it might be an opportunity for Pools. It's the curse of the Team Sky domestique, you know? Yeah, it's true. Garen right? Thomas, Richie Port, yeah. Mikel Landa. It's, uh, you don't want to. You don't want to have to ride on your own sometimes. Well, riding and, for Froome and Pools, you know, it did not ride as the chief lieutenant this past year at the Tour de France because of those injuries he oh, that's had. That's right. I forgot that. So I don't know. Maybe he's like looking to exert his dominance as yeah. top domestique. Something to prove. That's Got a true. chip on his shoulder. Chip on his shoulder to be the top helper. Riding mad. Uh, moving on. At the Volta Algarve, we saw Mikhail Kwiatkowski. Speaking of awesome Sky Ooh. lieutenants, we saw Good a battle Lord. between Sky's two top lieutenants with Mikhail Kwiatkowski taking the overall, but Garen Thomas also winning a stage and looking really strong. The story coming out of Algarve was that Sky just, you know, they have these, they just have these cards to play at these races across the world. And the Sky All-Star train just seems to be really strong, and it's only February. Embarrassment of riches, yeah. Garrett Thomas wins that individual time trial. Kwiatkowski wins stage two and stage five and the overall. He looked so good in stage five, too. He just blasted by poor Zdenek Stebar, who was off the front. Uh, ooh, I like that would be a fun classics rivalry, Kwiatkowski and Stebar. Mm-hmm. I would like that. So, Hoodie, Kwiatkowski's a guy that we talk about a lot because he is so versatile. He was one of the best lieutenants for Sky and Froome at this year's, uh, this past year's Tour de France, but then also won Milan San Remo, won Strada Bianca. Based off of this performance, what do we make of his ambitions and what he's capable of doing uh, in the springtime? Yeah, I think uh, Kiwitowski's poised for a huge spring. I, I think he's lined up to race not only his traditional classics, but also Tour of Flanders this year, mm. which could be a, an ideal course for Mr. Kiwikowski. You know, what a, what a great one-day rider. I mean, he's kind of like the Sagan-type rider, and then they both kind of came through the junior ranks together. They've been rivals since they were, I think, in diapers, these two guys. So to see Kiwitowski kind of keep getting better, 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 you know, really confirming that that, world's win a few years ago was no fluke okay he hasn't won three in a row like Sagan but if you look at his uh, monuments or at least in terms of the one day classics that he's won his Palmares are just as good if not better than Sagan taking away those world championships hmm. uh, such a such a versatile rider I, I think he's going to have a huge spring this year that's a hot take Michal Kwiatkowski 
better Palmares than Peter Sagan. Well, I mean, Ooh. maybe, you know, we talked about this last year with Milan Sanremo, but kind of a smarter racer in that finale mm-hmm. than Peter Sagan. I would love to see the Sagan versus Kwiatkowski at Flanders rivalry, or at the very least to throw Kwiatkowski in there as the third fourth big man to watch now along with Greg Van Avermaet and Philippe Gilbert. I mean, if you recall the year that Sagan won Flanders, uh, it was Kwiatkowski who started the move. He attacked out of that group when Oscar Gatto was on the front and Sagan went and joined him. That was when Cancellara chose not to follow those two guys. Mm. And, uh, you know, Kwiatkowski didn't have the legs to eventually follow Sagan on the hills, but you got to figure after a year of solid racing and winning some big races, maybe, I don't know, maybe we have to put him into the list of favorites for Flanders this year. Maybe a little premature, but I'd love to see it. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, that's a good segue. Wait, no. What? One more thing on Algarve. Okay. TJ Van Garderen, third overall. Ah, TJ, way to go. Yeah, I mean... That's, I feel like he's been flying under the radar for a little while now. And uh, yeah, it could be, a, could be a good indication of the young American, or well, he's not young anymore, but the American's chances here. I mean, we all know at BMC, Richie Port's the head guy for the tour, but maybe TJ can get some results this year. Well, it's tough because I don't believe TJ is slated to race the Giro this year. I think he is all for the tour for working for Richie Port. But, you know, having good early season form is never a bad thing. Maybe we could see TJ also pull off some good results at some of these other um, shorter week-long stage races. Well, Fred, and of course, you know, once Richie Port DNFs the tour, that would probably open the door for TJ to, you know, ride for himself. I am going to be rubbing a rabbit's foot like no other between now and tour for Richie Port. I want to see him finish the tour. I want to see him do well. I jest. I jest. You know that. Any any takes on uh, on TJ Hoodie? You followed his career pretty intently. Have we seen him going this good this early before? Yeah, I think TJ. I think he has his mind in a good place, which I think is kind of was always kind of uh, perhaps part of the equation that didn't quite add up for TJ. You know, he, there's no one no one denies that the guy has an innate talent to race his bike. Uh, I think that uh, cycling is obviously such a hard sport. And TJ even said himself in an interview earlier this year, he said that it's not that he lost the passion of the race, but I think he was frustrated. He had some setbacks. He, you know, the results weren't coming as easily as they did earlier in his career. And I think he obviously struggled there for a few years, both results-wise and kind of on the mental side of things. And I think he's uh, worked through those for some of those uh, demons in his mind and if he's if he's back in the place now where perhaps you know Richie now has all of that pressure on him to be the team leader you know perhaps that's going to free up TJ and he can just kind of have a free ride during the tour and like you said who knows maybe uh that's going to help him uh fulfill his potential another uh story to come out of the Algarve is uh Ben King winning the King of the Mountains jersey that's right another American on the move way to go Ben King that's a good result. Yes. And sorry to ruin your segue, Fred. We were going to segue so smoothly into classics. I know. Well, we'll we'll just going to have a hard transition right now. Boom. Prepare your ears. Oh, we're going to talk about the classics. Whammy. All right, guys. Omloop, Pep, Nisblad, and Kern, Brussels, Kern coming up this weekend. I love these races because 
it is their course their courses their races that showcase a lot of the same features that we come to love about the Tour of Flanders E3 Harlbeck and Gent Wevelgem um, but they come a solid month before then so a lot of our classics guys are on varying levels of form. A lot of times these are the bellwether races for saying, okay, who's going to be doing what? As we saw last year, Greg Van Avermaet won Omloop, knew he was really fit, and he went on to just terrorize the Belgian classic season. Um, But there's a wrinkle this year. The wrinkle is no Peter Sagan. Peter Sagan informed us, I believe, of the Tour Down Under. He he informed Hoodie, or someone informed Hoodie, because you got the big scoop on this, that Sagan is totally skipping Het Nusblad and Kern Brussels Kern. So Hoodie, how'd you get this story? But why why is he doing this? Why is he skipping these these favorite early races of ours? Uh, as Fred, as you well know, some of the best scoops are usually in the bar. Mm. So I was, I was talking to uh, one of the team officials who just let it slip that Sagan wasn't uh, racing this next weekend in Belgium. And, you know, my little Hoodie... Uh, scoop radar went went uh, clicking and so i made a few calls and yeah it's true uh the main reason is simply scheduling and sagan's new baby his new child Aww. marlin and uh sagan is incorporating these altitude camps into his training uh preparation he's been up at sierra nevada in the Spanish uh, mountains in southern spain at 2300 meters for the last two weeks so it really came down to where do you fit in time for altitude camps, baby Marlin, and really being as fresh as possible for the spring classics? And the call was made within the Bora Mind Trust that the best thing to do was to skip these races. It was made a big stink, really, as you can well imagine, back in Belgium, where, of course, uh, Sagan's quite beloved and, and uh, not having the defending champion of Kern Russell Kearns there is uh is kind of a, a downer for those guys but it's really just about uh Sagan's schedule and him wanting to hit, hit his absolute peak during the spring classics yeah i'm bummed not to see him there mm-hmm. he's always such an animator of these races uh omloop is a great race because we get a lot of our favorite climbs from uh the tour of flanders i'm talking about the Molenberg, the Wolvenberg, all the Bergs, mm. the, the best Berg, mm-hmm. the Bossberg, we got the mirror in there. Yeah. And uh, it a lot of times comes down to a split or a break that's made on one of these late Bergs. Um, I believe last year it was a combination of the Molenberg and the Leiberg that led to the winning move. Um, I, I actually can't remember. Can't keep my bergs in order. The bergberg? Yeah, way too many bergs out there. <laughs> um, but then the fun thing is that the next day we get Kern, and it's sort of like Kern reminds me of like the last chance race. It's like, hey man, did you not did you not get it done the day before? Yeah, you get one more chance. Revenge race. And as we've seen the last few years, the revenge. You know, Sagan would get second place at Het Nusblad and then have his revenge the next day at at Kern Brussels Kern. Um, another great Kern Brussels Kern winner, friend of the show, Jasper Steuven. That's right. The Chocolate Man. Chocolate Man. So, so, one of my favorite revenge stories from Kern is the, uh, it's the, it was the year, I think a couple years ago when uh, Mark Cavendish won it. And that was back when he was on the Quick Step team. And I think it was uh, 2015 or so. But that was, a year, that was the year that the whole ETIX Quick Step team got outfoxed by Ian Stannard the day before at Omloop. 
So Cav had to sort of swoop in and and just kind of give them one result for the weekend at the very least because there were some long faces in that crowd after uh, after Standard just yeah. <laughs> embarrassing them all on home turf. Um, how do you plan to uh, to watch that this this coming weekend? Are you going to fire up the English language live stream, or are you going to do it with the Flemish one? Uh, I think that there's a I forget who's carrying it. I, I usually go with the English language. Just really? So I, yeah. It's, you know, if you're making breakfast or something, you want to just kind of step away for a minute. You can at least hear what's going on and kind of, kind of follow it a little bit. You don't go. You don't want to go the muy authentico like oh, 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 no, no. I try, and also, try to avoid the viruses on the computer too. You know. Uh, well, everyone, it's here. Bike racing is here. I feel like Head Newsblad and Kern Brussels Kern weekend is sort of the official kickoff to real bike racing that that counts for stuff like we're we're keeping score now you you mean that tour of oman isn't that important yeah. to you fred that's kind of offensive sorry very eurocentric view of things Litz, really sorry let's yeah um I, we're, we're keeping score starting now so <laughs> do we want to do some picks oh we're doing that now i, th- I think we should do some picks all right I mean, maybe we pull up the old start list. Ah. And should I go first? Because you haven't looked at the start list yet, Fred. Um, okay. <laughs> Spencer, <laughs> who are your picks to win Het Newsblad and then Kern Brussels Kern? Mm. You know, the easy pick for for Omloop would probably be Greg Van Avermet because obviously looking great based on how he was riding in Oman. Um, I yeah, I think I I think I'll probably go Van Avermet for uh, for Omloop. Okay, and maybe a little side bet on Edvald Bosenhagen. And for Kern, I think this is going to be a bit of a sprinter's race this year. I think because we won't have Sagan mixing it up with attacks in the finale. So I think Fernando Gaviria is a good pick. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Gaviria coming out party. Hoodie, do you have any picks for these two races? Or do you have any pre-race analysis of how you see them playing out? Well, I would agree with Spencer. You know, Van Avermet really is the dominant rider coming out of these spring races. And he's won this race two years in a row. I guess the only wrinkle there would be perhaps Van Avermet doesn't have quite as much to prove as he did the last couple of years. He might be coming in, you know, with his eyes a little bit further down the road. It doesn't mean he's not going to be trying to race to win. But I think that uh, really until this, this past, you know, 2016-17 when Van Avermet finally got those big wins and he started each one of those campaigns off with a big weekend at Omloop, uh, maybe he's right again with a little bit more confidence, a little bit less to prove, nevertheless still wants to win. So maybe that takes a little bit of edge off of Van Avermet. You know, okay, just to I – mean, he's my pick, Bill. I'll, I'll just say I'll go with Gilbert. I love Gilbert. I'm going to pick Gilbert for every race this year because <laughs> I am a Gilbert fan. What can I say? I all want him right. to win all five. So he's going to start the season off. Why not? Boom. Why not? With a win at the Om Loop. Sure. Why not? What about Kern? Uh, Gaviria was my pick as well. Oh. So if I can't pick Gaviria, I'll go with uh, Michael Matthews. Why yeah. not? Uh, sure. There you go. That's good. You know, what you're saying, Hoodie, also reminds me of a little tidbit where it's 
maybe a little bit of a curse to win Omloop because it's so early. And a lot of times the guy who wins Omloop has a hard time going on to win the actual monuments, the big ones that come later, like Tour of Flanders, that sort of thing. Yeah, maybe this will we'll be seeing mm. the Omloop curse come <laughs> back. I know we had talked about that in previous years. Yeah, um, I'm going to zag, since you guys have zigged, um, I do believe Van Avermaet is the favorite to win. But you know who I want to see win this dang race? Tell me. I want Tij Benut to do it. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Flemish favorite, Tij Benut, long called the next Tom Boonen. He is not. Um, who can climb, who can descend, who can make it, make the race on flat cobblestones. He's, he's a good all-around rider. He's been very close. He's made the final group at these races. So I think that Tij Benut is going to do it this year wow. for uh, Omelette. Hit nosebleed. And then <laughs> yes. for Kern, yeah, Gaviria, might as well. I mean, that guy's flying right now. <sighs> yeah. That race a lot of times comes down to a sprint. Um, I don't know if Jasper Stoyven is going to be celebrating with a big giant chocolate bunny this year. I think Gaviria is going to be celebrating with just a lot of hugs. And that, was a, that was a great solo victory for him a couple of years ago. That yeah. was an exciting one. That was a good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, guys, it's time to do it. It's time to start keeping score for pro cycling mm -hmm. with these two big races coming up. All right, before we get... Can I make a caveat? Yeah. Can I make a caveat to my Kern oh. pick? Oh, oh. It's come to my attention that Simweb's not even on the start list for Kern Brussels Kern. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be tough so for Matthews to, make, to win that one, huh? It's a real a tough, tough one. To win yeah. if he's not in the game to win. So I'm going to make an amendment and, uh, and, and make uh, Matteo Trenton is my pick to win. Kern. Let me throw in another wild card for Kern. Sasha Modolo looking mm. pretty good in the sprints in uh, in Ruta del Sol. Great result for Team EF Education, first presented by Cannondale, sponsored by Garmin. Mm. Yep, he's uh, that's he, the team name, right? He's sprinting pretty well, and people are saying some Dre Pack thrown in there as well. Oh yeah. shoot, they're trying to they're trying to reinvent themselves as a sprint team. Yeah, it's interesting. I like it. I mean, he's a fast finisher. Uh, another good guy to keep looking for on that team, Mitch Docker, making his EF Education yes. first debut. That mullet. Hey, right. Hey, Love man, he that guy. The mullet. The no. The mullet was gone. The you mullet are... was gone at the Tour Down Under. Oh, man. I that take is, it all back. That really aggravates me. Good news is that our old friend, Keel Ryan, in front of the podcast, American, he's got probably the best mullet in the Peloton right now. So he's, he's staying strong for us. The mullet game. Yeah, my favorite Mitch Docker mullet story from last year is when he said that after he'd crashed and scraped up his face and then had the mustache and the mullet, he'd be like working out at the gym at home in Australia and people would see him on the equipment and be like, whoa, whoa, buddy. <laughs> like, it's cool. You can, you, can, uh, you can stay on the leg machine. Intimidating. Yeah. Keel also told me that it does really well in protecting his neck from sunburn because mm. he just did Tour of Omana and he said he's doing just fine. No redneck there. None at all. Wow. Apart from the mullet, which cut is kind of redneck, actually. Cut the mullet. Remember the cut the mullet song? I have no idea. Uh, we're, getting, Ryan we're going off the rails here. Not cutting the mullet. <laughs> going off the rails. Um, Spencer, before we get to the final segment of this week's podcast, we got to talk about our good friends at Health IQ. Spencer, do you Strava? I do. I'm a religious Strava-er. I do, a, I do a lot of like uh, on the download Strava where I am private tracking my Strava results but keeping them private. Put them on Snapchat? Yeah, so as to not alert the world of the clandestine military bases that I may be training smart. at. Smart. That's very smart. But you should be sharing your Strava 
with our friends at Health IQ because right. that's how you can get a great deal on life insurance. You just go to healthiq.com slash velonews and you get that quote. That's right. You can submit your Strava data to Health IQ because Health IQ, the innovative life insurance company that works with cyclists, runners, triathletes, healthy people, because it can give us a better quote. Okay, back to the show. Guys, before we wrap up this week, I wanted to talk with you, Hoodie, more about your experience at Vuelta Andalusia Ruta del Sol because you went down there to follow the Froome Circus because Chris Froome did his first race of the year. There was a lot of media, a lot of other riders. Um, the first question I have for you is, yeah, you know, talk to me about the scene, the media scrums at the Team Sky Bus. What were they like? What type of reporters were there and what were they interested in? It was it was almost like the the Tour de France crowd had been thrown into the Ruta del Sol parking lot, but it was only around one bus. If you can imagine what that Tour de France scene is like when the yellow jersey steps out of the bus, it's just packed around three, four deep with journalists all the way around, four, five deep with fans. That's how it was at Team Sky. The rest of the buses in the parking lot, there was literally almost no one there <laughs> at all. Around the other buses, there was a few journos might be strolling around uh, waiting for Froome to come out. A few fans were checking out Movistar maybe. But everyone was at the Team Sky. It was a Team Sky party at the Ruta del Sol. The race organizers were happy about it because they suddenly had all these people from all over the world coming to the little race in Spain. And so the press rooms were kind of crowded the first day or two. Uh, but, man, they had some great Hamon, Serrano for the journalists. They got the wine flowing. So everybody was feeling pretty good about the Ruta del Sol. What, uh, you know, who, what type of media outlets were there? And, what were, you know, what were they asking from? What were the, what were the people talking about? Yeah, the, the usual suspects were all there. All the major European sports papers were there, like I said. Uh, uh, L'Equipe sent somebody there. The Belgian papers were there. What was interesting, perhaps, I guess, was the fact that some of these mainstream English papers showed up. There was uh, a guy showed up stage two, uh, obviously must have just flown in from London. He had his little scarf on, his little jacket, his little uh, urban shoes. Obviously, he had no clue what was going on at the top of this mountain in the <laughs> middle of southern Spain. Hello, he lads. Was, oh, hello, lads. Hello. I just flown in from the, the Times of London, baby. Uh, yeah. Yes. There, uh, can I get a can I get a taxi to the finish? You all right? Yeah. So we had, and then we also had some of the tabloid journalists, you know, from uh, you know some of these old you know Fleet Street old school tabloid papers. You know, the the Sun I think was there, or the Daily Mail. I think the Sun's actually been closed. The Mail, or you know, one of these big uh, tabloids, and 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 this guy kept chiming in these questions, asking Brailsford, "Oh, Dave." Is it worse than Jiffygate? <laughs> yes. Oh, great. <laughs> First name basis, too. I like that. Yeah, so it was kind of a funny mix. People were trying to get some straight answers, trying to get some more information, trying to get a context of what Froome was coming through. Uh, they, they, Froome obviously had his talking points. He came off the bus. I think we have a couple of audio clips we might throw to during this podcast. I mean, obviously, it's a, it was meant to have been a confidential process, so uh, it's not really, it's not something I can I can talk about publicly, um, out of respect for that process and also wanting to to have a fair fair process. 
Chris David Lepartien was saying Chris, that you should have been immediately Chris. suspended by Fighting the Sky. What did you make of his comments given that he has the power to suspend you himself if you wanted to? I mean, as I said, I mean, we're in the middle of that process now. And I mean, there is a process in place for me to demonstrate that, that I haven't done anything wrong. I know I haven't, I haven't done anything wrong. Um, and so we're, that, that's what I intend to do is to show that. Um, the talking points for Froome was there is a process in place. We have to respect that process. I just want the same process as everybody else got, and I can't speak about this until the process is over. Process was Froome's talking point. Wade Hoodie, you got that wrong. It wasn't process. It was process. Oh, yes. A lot of process talk going on. No, I was going to say there, that, that definitely seemed to be the buzzword of Chris Froome's early 2018 is process. <laughs> Respect the process. Respect the process. Isn't that what you say when you're training for something? Um, now, as the as the race went along, did the questions um, change at all, or was it pretty much the same type of scene out front of Team Sky's bus? Well, the, the, the first wave of questions were, you know, why are you here? Why did you choose to race? What do you hope to happen? And then, to be honest, journalists started filtering out uh, after a day or two. Most of the big media had gone. BBC was there, Sky TV, some of these uh, spores. I think most of them cut out by stage three. Um, so the end, you know, of course, if you're just a journalist hanging around, you start asking other questions. And one question I asked from, uh, you know, he seemed to get kind of mad. And I said, Chris, do you think you made the right decision to race? Because there has been a lot of resistance to him being back in the peloton, not only, not only from people like the UCI president and from some of his peers, uh, but he seemed to take that question the wrong way. They insist that he has every right to race. and Technically true. Yeah, it's, very technically true. Yeah. Uh, whether, whether you know it's the right thing to do for the sport or not, that's a question I think other people obviously have their different opinions on. Um but the questions started to change a little bit in tone. But by the end of the last day, there was hardly anybody even left, including myself. I had to actually leave to come home to my wife. So, <laughs> Hoodie, did they even have enough hotel rooms for all these people? It's just these little villages on the on the seaside in Spain, right? Well, that's the great thing about uh, these races that when they do come to the offseason, believe me, there are plenty of hotel rooms because uh, the first day was down by Fuenjarola, which is one of these seaside resort towns. Ah, okay. Plenty of hotel rooms. That was not a problem. All inclusive package. Did you get to see, did you get, go drinks? up and see the Alhambra or anything? Spa. Like go see some uh, Moorish art or any history? I know that you know a lot of good stuff to look at down in that part of Spain. Lots of interesting history down in southern Spain. That that's why I, the Ruta del Sol as an event is one of the best races really in Spain because it goes from all these iconic places around southern Spain to Sevilla to Granada, Malaga. Um, unfortunately, you know, I was a very good boy. I was right down there early. Uh, no time for the Alhambra. But I have been there before, so if you haven't gone, put it on your bucket list. Uh, lastly, Hoodie, you spoke with a lot of different writers about their uh, their their personal takes on Froome's involvement in the race. You know, we had run a couple of stories um, one of which Froome was saying that, you know, by and large, people support me. The riders that I'm talking to are happy that I'm here and they support me in my decision. What was the take that you got from talking to some of these riders in the Peloton? Yeah, I think the general gist, I mean, there are a few vocal voices of people that are stoutly opposed to 
for being there. Like Tim Wellens, the guy that won the race, he had some of the strongest comments. Um, when I talked to Fuglesong uh, on a Tuesday before the race started, he basically said he didn't think it's a good idea for Froome to be racing. But those two actually spoke. One of those writers that Chris said that he spoke to during that first stage, they came across the finish line together. And then Fuglesong later said, well, you know what? I've kind of changed my mind about this uh, Chris, Chris Froome situation because he said, I think what a lot of people have said, is that they really don't know all the ins and outs of this whole case. And especially riders, they don't pay attention to this stuff, the majority of them. They have their job to do. They stick their nose down to do their own work. What happens, especially on another team, doesn't really matter to them directly. It might have, they might have an opinion on it, but most people didn't really seem to have a serious, hard-nosed opinion on should Froome be there or not. They're like, well... It doesn't affect me. Well, it's, he's not on my team. If he if the rules say he can be here, so be it. That's basically what Mikel Landa said. The full song thing I thought was quite interesting. It, it sounded, if you kind of read between the lines a little, it sounded like full song went and talked to Froome. Froome told him some stuff, probably in confidence, that is not for public uh, consumption. And that was kind of what led full song to change his tune on it, which makes you wonder if, Perhaps Sky really does know what they're talking about when they say that they're not worried about it. It's going to get resolved. We'll go through the process. It'll all be taken care of. Froome's going to keep racing. Froome's going to go to the Giro. It it does kind of, when you hear the, something like that from a rider who ostensibly has no connection at all, you know, he's not British. He's not on Sky. He's not, there's no reason why Fulsong would, would say that if it wasn't true. I think there's always power in FaceTime when it comes to these things. I mean, we've seen that with uh, just multiple athletes out there who are under serious allegations or questions. It's like if you come and you show up and you spend time with people and you put the FaceTime in, chances are you're going to win a, over a number of your detractors um, just by being around them and talking to them and showing them that, you know, you're not some weird Salbutabal uh, monster. You're just Chris Froome, man. Yeah, so to all of our readers who like to yell at us on Twitter and Facebook, just come on down to the office. We'll uh, we'll win you over with our charm and good looks. Ooh, I don't know about the good looks part. Good point. Very yeah, good point. Okay. I think I think that uh, I think that Froome is fairly well liked within the peloton. I mean, he he's an authentic guy. He's really almost like a boy scout. So he's not one of these personalities that's going to rub people the wrong way within the peloton. I think a lot of the guys inside the pack re- respect him for his racing uh, tenacity. I mean, everyone respects for the, the fact that he's a winner, but they also, I think there's a pretty high degree of respect for just him as a person because he is really a pretty nice guy. He's not, he's not one of these guys that has uh, an agenda or he's out to trample on other people to get to the top. He, he's getting, getting there on, well, the fact that he's on Team Sky has a lot to do with uh, you know, his ability to win. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention too about uh, about uh, the situation with what they were saying this week. I think first off, it was very important for Froome to kind of break that ice. You know, the all tension. You know, when's he going to race? Was he going to race? So I think it was important for Froome and for Sky just to get Froome out there, get him racing, kind of break through this kind of tension that was building in the media. His next race is supposed to be Turner Adriatico. He's supposed to be going to an altitude camp. And the idea is full preparation for the Giro. And the second thing is that what Brailsford was saying is that, okay, we have two kind of problems right now. One is the fact that we believe Froome is innocent and there's a legal process in place and we're trying to 
demonstrate that. He says, to do that, we cannot be speaking about all these questions people have publicly, because it's supposed to be, A, it's supposed to be a confidentiality. The cases will be held confidentially anyway. Um, that changed when it was leaked. So there's a lot of this information that's coming out. A lot of it's inaccurate. Team Sky so far has resisted trying to making a PR campaign to say, oh, no, that's not quite true. Oh, that, that's not quite true either. They've just remained as discreet as possible. They're going to wait until this, uh, this whole, uh, well, to borrow the word, process is completed. And then they promise to provide more details at the end of this whole affair. Process, actually. Mm, yeah. Trust that process. <laughs> right on. Well, Hoodie, thank you for your dispatch from Ruta del Sol. I'm sure you didn't take in any of the tourist sights and sounds were there. Well, maybe just a couple of them. Yeah. Um, guys, before we get out of here this weekend, let's do a little off the front, off the back. That, of course, is what is hot and what is not in the world of pro cycling. Who wants to go first? I'm going to go first. Oh, that's right. Do it. Um, off the front this week, I have Ellen Noble, American yeah. cyclocross racer. Uh, we broke the news that she has inked a deal to race with the Trek mountain bike team in 2018 to race like World Cups. And she's going to do BMX. She's, she's training, training as with training BMX. Training yeah. BMX. Oh, she's going to race some enduro potentially. Yeah, I think just on the side. But and, and, and she'll also race cross for them too. Yeah, of course. It's, she's doing this full mountain bike swing with her with a goal towards uh, mountain bike at the Olympics. And as we've seen with a lot of other elite cyclocross racers out there, doing well on the Mountain Bike World Cup and being a really strong mountain biker leads to cross greatness. So we are psyched for Ellen Noble uh, to see this as part of her progression. Um, off the back, boy, what is off the back right now? I guess something that you could say, someone you could say was off the back was Mikel Landa, you know, first big race for mm. Team Movie Star, a race in Spain, wanting to come out and look really strong. And he was, to be fair, he was. He was up there in those final climbs, but just didn't really have it in the final, that stage four, to go with Tim Wellens. So, uh, sorry, Mika Landa, you're going to have to wait for another race to get your first movie star win. Didn't really make a case for himself to be the leader, a movie star. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But we all knew it would be kind of, that would sort of be the way. All right, who wants to go next? I'll hop in. Let's see. I think that off the front this past week was pretty much any cyclist from Eritrea, this uh, small East African nation. They nearly won every race at the African Continental Championships, which were happening this past week. And uh, we all know a lot of the Eritrean riders have, uh, have raced in and out of the world tour here and there, and they seem to have a way of producing strong cyclists. So Kudos to them for getting a lot of big results at those Continental Championships. Spencer, I notice you're not venturing out on a limb and trying to pronounce any of their names. Yeah, you can uh, find all of that on Pro Cycling Stats. There's a lot of good uh, results there. We like those guys. And uh, yeah, leave the pronunciation up to you. I would butcher their names too. Yeah. Apologies to all of our Eritrean listeners out there. Wonderful cyclists, but our, we, we struggle with mm. the names. Yes, yes, we do. Off the back. Uh, what, what is off the back right now? Um, I'm going to say off the back would probably be ah, winter weather because it's getting to that time of the year when you're ready to get into a rhythm of riding kind of pretty often and you want to kind of get that feeling back and 
boom, you get a snowstorm back to square one. I'm not really one for riding indoors. So I sort of end up just waiting around for the snow to melt. That's true. But you always have those few tough slash crazy members of your local cycling community that are like, Hey man, I put on the mountain bike and like got my bar mitts out and went and rode four hours in the snowstorm and maybe got a head cold, but it was totally worth it. Real try hard move. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Eh. I like riding in the snow from time to time, but it's not a, it's not a routine for me. That's for sure. All right, hoodie. What's off the front? What's off the back? Off the front has to be team sky, at least in terms of their performances across these early season races. I think they had wins by not counting Bernal's big win in the Waroi Pass race earlier this month, but Garrett Thomas, Kiewitowski, Pools, all winning. There's probably a few. Oh, yeah. And then also uh, David De La Cruz yeah. got his win. So lots of wins for Sky. Um, they're looking strong. Looking strong for the classics. Off the back, uh, I'm going to just say Peter Sagan for not racing this next weekend. Uh, I respect his decision to do what he wants to do. Of course, he has larger fish to fry but man the reason i say that is because have you guys seen the poster for current brussels current yeah it's all him what a great poster <laughs> it's like uh sug on like uh, napoleon there waterloo whatever it was on a horse so, on a horse so great poster Sagan should have been there to honor whoever made that poster at least to sign it ever he should at, at least, least yeah he should at least be there to sign those for people or, or maybe uh i don't know you know, sign a bunch and have them mailed over and distribute to the kids. Well, I would just figure this is such a great opportunity for Sagan style branding where he could star in like his own short movie yeah. about Napoleon nice. or something like that. And then at, at the end, it's like a it's like an advertisement for like sunscreen or something <laughs> <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post sto- links to the stories we talked about today on VelNews.com. Subscribe to the VelNews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of VeloNews on Facebook at facebook.com slash VeloNewsMagazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash VeloNews. The VeloNews podcast is produced by VeloNews, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the VeloNews podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout playing the Bernard Purdy Classic Soul Drums. Soul Drums.